Love Family Sundays. Boy, it's been kind of a crazy, crazy time in the in our world, has it not? So many, so many hard things. You guys hear about that kidnapping? No. Uh, it's everything's all right. He woke up. It's okay. <laughs> all right, hey, we're gonna be in First John chapter three. People's hearts are breaking about a kidnapping. He just was napping. He woke up. It's okay. It's okay, grandmas and moms and nervous people in our midst. It's okay. <laughs> so, listen, we got a, a three-part message today titled, I Have Been Accepted. I'm just going to give you all three points right out of the gates, and then I'm just going to teach through 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Number one, I've been accepted, or except number one, I have been adopted. Number two, is it up there? I am being sanctified. And number three, I am a new person. So this is the this is the gospel work in a person's life. We've been accepted by the grace and mercy, because of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we've been accepted, we have been adopted. And because we've been brought into the family of God, now we're in this process of sanctification. And that process of sanctification leads to the reality that we are new people. We've been born again, as John 3, 3 says. We've been born again. We are brand new people. So I'm a new person. How many identify with being adopted? How many feel like, like, how many can say with confidence, I am accepted, right? Like if you are in Christ, your confidence level should be super high off the charts, not because you're good, but because, because God's good, right? And so if, if I tell you that if you're a believer in Christ that you've been accepted, you should be able to say with confidence, yeah, I, I believe that. And I know that's true. So how many know for sure that if you're in Christ that you've been accepted? How many can raise? There we go. So we need to have a greater boldness as believers, not a greater arrogance, but just a greater confidence in who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm accepted. I've been actually adopted into his family. And because I've been accepted and adopted into his family, I'm actually in a process of becoming more like him. It's a process called sanctification, becoming more holy as even God as holy. And the result of all of that is I'm a new person. Now, we're not going to be complete in our new personhood, this side of heaven. But when we see Jesus face to face, we will be complete in him. And so this is the promise. This is the, the expectation for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have an expectation that our lives will be radically changed as a result of this new thing in our life called Christianity. And listen, we need to be ready, right? We've done so many memorial services lately. Um, a week, just over a week ago, I thought, okay, we just lost the seventh person uh, from our church and my family. And I thought, okay, there's nobody else in the queue. You know what I'm saying? It's like the people who passed, they were in hospice, they were old, and they were getting, they just need, it was time for them to go. So I thought, oh, there's nobody else in the queue. And then last Saturday, I find out that Dave Ross passed away. Dave Ross, my age, 56 years old. I'm only 53, but 50, same age range, like he passed number of years ago, we did a service at New Life for a young guy who was about 22 years old. So it's common for us to do services for people who have lived a full life. It's very uncommon for us to do services for 22-year-olds, and it's very uncommon for us to do services for 56-year-olds, but it happens. As a result of Dave Ross coming, uh, coming to the end of his life, 
a guy that's been coming to church here for a while, gave his life to Jesus. He said, listen, I need to make sure that when I die, I know Jesus. Because the guy who gave his life to the Lord, I won't mention his name, but he's been a friend for a long time, and he's about the same age as Dave Ross. And he said, hey, if Dave can go at 56, I could go at 56, so I need to make sure, because he'd been con contemplating, I need to give my life to Jesus again. I need to, because he had backslidden from the age of 18 until the age of 50 plus years old. But when he found out that his friend, our friend, had passed away, he knew that he needed to get serious about the Lord. Listen, we need to get serious about the Lord. We need to make sure that we're serious about who we are in Christ, and that we understand our purpose in this life because we are followers. We've been, we've, been, uh, we've been accepted, adopted into his family. Now we're in this process of becoming more and more like him so that our life is radically changed. This is the forever kingdom work that God wants to accomplish in our lives. So I think we're done after we do the service for Dave Ross. And I get home yesterday and I unwind and take a little nap after watching some golf. And I wake up to a text message that said, Randy Pistoni had passed away. Now, Randy Pistoni and his wife, Laura, had come to the church. They had moved to Arkansas a couple of years ago. But, you know, Randy, the, when he left, he was in good health, but uh, died yesterday on the 25th of pancreatic cancer. I, I think the Lord's trying to get our attention. I think he's trying to show us the brevity of life, not to scare us, but to get our attention all the same. God's got a purpose for our lives, and he wants us to realize that purpose in the here and now. Again, the title of today's message, I have been accepted. I've been adopted. It's a story about two young guys they, they go to sign up for baseball season. They go, and they're, they're brothers, two, two brothers, and they go to the registrar, and, the, and the, the person asks, hey, how can you be brothers? I can tell by the, your birthdays that you're only six months apart. And they said, kind of in unison, well, one of us has been adopted. <laughs> and uh, the person asking the question said, well, which one has been ab adopted? And, and they both said, well, we don't know. <laughs> Our dad won't tell us. Every time we ask him, he says, I can't remember. <laughs> what a great answer, right? Why was the dad answering the question that way? I'm sure he knew, but he also made a decision that he was going to love his birth son just the same as his adopted son. There was going to be no difference. There was going to be no difference. As I was studying this text today in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, in a part of the text, I was reading a commentary that said, that, and I didn't do a deep dive on it, but I'll just tell you what one commentator wrote, and I resonate with it. I think it makes sense. He said the kind of love that the love the Lord has for, that God has for his adopted kids, it's equal to the love that he has for his only begotten son. Yes. Isn't that amazing? That the father loves his adopted kids the same way, with the same love that he loves his only begotten it's an amazing revelation for us to realize that we're not the redheaded stepchild that just kind of got taken in, but we've been adopted because God loves us, and God wanted to bring us into his family. It's a very, it should be a very life-changing radical truth that we get a hold of and that gets a hold of us. 
1 John 3, 1, the first part, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God. So with that revelation and understanding, can you say with confidence, I have been accepted? I've got a friend of mine uh, who was adopted, and he was adopted by amazing, amazing parents, and he had two siblings that were birth siblings, and I, I watched the family. I, you cannot tell that my friend was the adopted one based on any, any unfair treatment. He was treated exactly like the birth siblings in his family. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of a, a good father toward his adopted children. We've been adopted into the family of God, and he loves us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You are accepted when you acknowledge the love of the Father, and when you, by faith, accept his grace and adoption into his family. Adoption happens when we acknowledge our need for God to forgive our sins and then ask him to forgive our sins. And when, you, when we acknowledge God's love, recognizing our need and ask for his forgiveness of sin, and when we by faith believe, we are forgiven and we are adopted. That's the process, and it all kind of happens rather quickly. We believe, we confess, we invite and we are adopted and we, we are accepted into the family of God. If, if you fit the description, you can declare with confidence, I've been accepted. I've been adopted into the family of God. The Apostle Paul agreed with the Apostle John on the doctrine of adoption. This is what he wrote in Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Isn't that amazing? This is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Like it wasn't a bummer to enlarge his family by adopting you in. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. If you're adopted into the family of God, you bring God great pleasure. But we need to get a hold of our identity in Christ and begin to live out of that identity. So often we wish and we're wishy-washy, we're, we're, we're uncertain. And so we vacillate. And so our, in our lives, we vacillate about our commitments because we're uncertain. It's like someone who's been brought into a home and you're just not sure if you belong or if you fit or if they really want you. I want to tell you that God... He wants you. You fit. You belong. In Christ, you're a part of the family of God. And so you should live out of that, that understanding. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him, say it with me, great pleasure. Not just pleasure, but he gave him great pleasure. We need to understand that, that the heart of God in all of this. So if you are in Christ... Welcome to the family of God. It's important that we're part of the family. It's important that we're part of something beyond ourselves. Being part of a family keeps us connected to the real life needs of people, keeps us empathetic 
It keeps us compassionate. It keeps us connected to the real-life pain and struggle of others so that we can be a part of their real-life pain and struggle. I've known, I've known some single dudes over the years, and for whatever reason, it seems to happen with single dudes. But single, I know, I've known some single dudes over the years who, who isolate themselves and insulate themselves such that they don't want to be a part of the family of God. And all that does is cause them to be cynical and critical and harsh and hard-hearted. I've just watched it a number of times in my life. What, hap- what keeps us tender as people of God is the family of God because we get to go through hard stuff together and we get to live life together and we get to pray together and we get to lay hands on one another. We get to encourage one another. There's a, there's a family dynamic within the church and sometimes we do it really well and other times we need to brush up on our <laughs> relationship skills. The second half of verse 1 says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So every person in the world is either in one family or the other. We're either a part of the family of God because of Jesus Christ or we're not. We're, we're welcomed into the family of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So you're either part of the family or God of God or not. And those in the world... And the Bible calls people outside of the family of God the world. Those in the world are outside the family of God, and so they don't know us. That's what John is saying. He's drawing a distinction. He's wrapping up his life, and he's reminding the church about some things. He's reminding us that we're a part of one another. The body of Christ is not just those who believe at Harvest Church, but those who believe everywhere. Those who believe everywhere. Again, people in the world may be acquainted with us, but they don't know us because they aren't part of us. And so God reminds us of this truth because we're not to exclude those people, but we're trying to rescue them into the family of God. Imagine, I've always been, I've been told this story over the years, but imagine somebody's uh, fallen off the boat. They're in a boat and, and, and you can send a lifesaver out to them on a rope and bring them back into the boat, bring them, rescue them out of danger and certain death. That is what we're called to do. We're called to be rescuers, to rescue people and to bring them into the kingdom of God. Only those who have trusted Jesus are a part of the family of God. And that's why John wrote in, first John, in John 1, 12, in his gospel, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So those who receive and believe are the ones who, have, who become the children of God. Verse 2, 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When we see him, we will be like him. I don't know about you, but I just want to be like Jesus, right? I mean, I I just want to be like Jesus. And the more I know Jesus, the more I want to be like him. With people, the more we know them, the more we know about all of their shortcomings and failures and faults. And so... We were like, ah, I don't want to be like that person, right? But the more we get to know Jesus, his grace, his truth, his goodness, the new life that is available to us, 
I don't know about you, but the more I get to know Jesus, the more I want to be just like him. He's a better person than I am. But in Christ, I can become more and more like him as I'm sanctified, becoming more and more holy, even as he is holy. The Christian life is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. It's, that's the deal. That is, that is the, the gospel. We get saved so that we might be sanctified, so that our lives might actually be changed, and we experience the fullness of the born-again experience. So the Christian life is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. And this process will not be completed until we see Jesus face to face. And we see that in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. It says, but we are citizens of heaven. We've been accepted. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior, Maranatha. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So we won't be complete in our transformation until we see Jesus face to face, but we have the privilege and we have the responsibility of becoming more and more like Jesus today and every single day. I've been accepted. Why? Because I've been adopted, but also in the, the adoption process and being a part of this family, I'm, I'm being sanctified and becoming more and more like Jesus. We talk about the concept of sanctification. It's a big theological word. It just simply means to make holy, to make holy. So God, through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, as we explore the word of God and understand the word of God and the power of God, we are being sanctified. We are being changed day by day. That's the goal. That's the goal. How do we define the word holy? The Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, Volume 2, says holiness refers to his, God's, essential nature. It is not so much an attribute of God. It is the very foundation of his being. In Isaiah 6, the seraphim, the angels of God, cry out, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Thrice holy, intensely holy is the Lord. And this is what he's calling us into, this same state, the same place of holiness, whereby our lives reflect who God is, the person and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we are in our sanctification process becoming more and more like God. Holiness, accordingly, is the background for all else declared about God. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25, speaking of Christ, says this, He, Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He died on the cross for our salvation, but also as part of the package, as part of the sanctification process that we might die to sin and live 
in a righteousness. This is the, the high calling of, for those who are in Christ Jesus that God empowers us to accomplish, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The verse goes on, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So as we return to Christ, who is the shepherd and overseer of our souls, he wants to not just save us, but he wants to sanctify us. He wants us to have a brand new life in Christ. Because Jesus is holy and because he is God, he was able to atone for the sins of mankind and in doing so, he made us holy. So when we think about holiness, we need to understand that holiness is our position in Christ. That doesn't mean that our life and our actions are always holy, but before God, because of Christ, our position in Christ is that we are holy, and then we begin to allow our lives to be transformed in such a way that it, the, every portion of our life begins to reflect that holiness. Positionally, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he's good, not because I'm good. Positionally, though, we need to understand that we've been accepted, that we've been adopted into the family of God, and that we're in a process, but because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are positionally holy. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And so we can't divorce sanctification from the purposes of God in our lives. It's not just about getting saved. It's about getting saved, recognizing that we've been accepted, adopted, and that we're in a process so that our lives personally reflect who Jesus is and what he wants to do in and through us. So John is making it very clear to his readers then and to his readers now that God has victory over sin for those who believe. He said in verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the author is speaking, as we'll see in the following verses, he's speaking of lifestyle sin. He's challenging lifestyle sin. A, a, a lifestyle of sin whereby we are continually falling into the same sin, uh, continually falling short in the same area, not seeing the victory of God in our lives. We will all stumble and we all stumble. But this should be our attitude. Lord, I, I shouldn't have said that. Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, I, I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? We keep short accounts because we know that sin doesn't reflect the Savior. Sin doesn't reflect the one who saved us so that we might be free from sin. And so, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Why? Because we're brand new in Christ. And our new righteous behavior reflects the righteous one who saved us. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So if you're here today and you're struggling with perpetual lifestyle sin, I, I just challenge you to confront it. Talk to somebody safe about it. There's hundreds of people that are a part of this church, and I would just encourage you to find someone to begin to uh, identify that lifestyle sin and begin to work through it so that you experience the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus. The enemy will keep you bogged down with lies telling you that things will never change, that you'll never get the victory. I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. The power of God at work in our lives gives us, gives us the power over sin. Habitual lifestyle sin should not be a part of who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we will stumble from time to time, and we all need the grace and mercy of God for those things, and we need to extend grace and mercy to one another, but we need to challenge head-on lifestyle habitual sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I've been accepted. This is the reality. This is what we need to understand and get a hold of. I've been accepted because of Christ. And because of Christ, I've been adopted into the family of God. And because I've been accepted and adopted, I'm in a process God loves me too much to leave me the way that I was. And so there's a process of sanctification where I'm becoming holy because he is holy and because his life and his word is in me. And because of his life and his word, I'm realizing that the power that is available, available to me to become holy even as God is holy. So when you've been accepted, adopted, and sanctified, you're a different person. And the evidence of your acceptance and adoption is a changed life. We see that in verse 10. John kind of wraps up this portion. He says, by this, it is evidence who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. He makes a distinction. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so we have this challenge, this possibility, this opportunity to become righteous, to become more and more righteous, and to love, and to become better, better at loving people. I was driving, after, driving Jolene and I were driving home after a rainstorm last week, and uh, the rain was coming down, the wind was blowing, and top part of one of our trees broke and fell on my neighbor on my neighbor's property. It was on the fence, but legally speaking, whatever falls on his side of the fence is his responsibility, right? So Jolene, having the huge heart that she does, she said, "Hey, we should call uh, our son-in-law Logan. Just bought a new tree tree company, and so we should call Logan and have him come trim up that tree." I said, "That's Jack's problem." Jack and I have been kind of at odds lately. We've been neighbors for almost 30 years, and sometimes after 30 years, it's hard to get along about things. 
So I dropped Jolene off, and I'm heading back out to go back to work, and I'm looking at the tree, and I'm like, ah, we got to do something. <laughs> See, in my flesh, I can get angry and not want to do the right thing, but in my spirit, I know what God would call me to do, and so I called Logan. I said, hey, Logan, can you come fix this tree? And it fell on Jack's property. I know it's his responsibility, but would you just come fix it? And uh and he didn't do it for free, so it wasn't just like a free, like, <laughs> I paid hundreds of dollars to get this tree cleaned up. And so then I called my neighbor, Jack, and I said, hey, Jack. And I said, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but one of our trees broke off and fell on your side. He said, oh, I, I noticed. <laughs> I said, I got my son-in-law coming out in the morning with his tree company. He's going to trim that up and get that cleaned up. He is? I'm like, yeah, it'll be all taken care of in the morning. And so when Logan and his crew showed up, they said, you know, we can, bless you, we can trim up this whole fence line if you want. I said, yeah, let's clean up the whole fence line. You know, we have a responsibility in this world to be salt and light. And we can't let unforgiveness and resentment hinder our ability to be salt and light. I don't want my neighbor of 30 years getting to the other side and missing heaven because I held on to bitterness and was a jerk in my response. I don't want that to be the case. I want to know that there's an open door for me to share the gospel with him again because I've shared the gospel with him a number of times. I don't want the enemy to rip off the opportunity to share the gospel again because I don't know how much time, well, I don't know how much time any of us have. But I want to know that there's an open door to share the gospel with Jack so that we can spend all of eternity together. My old man would have never done that. My new man in Christ, there's grace to do that kind of stuff. There's grace for that kind of stuff. What does God want to do to change your heart about your circumstances and about the people in your sphere God's got you there so that you can be salt and light in their life. And the enemy of your soul is going to do everything to cause friction in those relationships because eternity hangs in the balance. So let's get spiritual eyes, put on fresh lenses, and see what God wants to do with us as we humble ourselves and take the high road and continue to stay prayerful and godly in our actions and our words, thoughts, and deeds because the, the evidence of a changed life is greater righteousness and a greater capacity to love. It's easy to love the lovely. Not so easy to love those who are hard to love. But in Christ, we can do what he's asked us to do. So... Are you practicing righteousness more and more? Are you loving people better and better? Are you genuinely a new person, not a perfect person? When we see Jesus face to face, we'll be complete. But in the meantime, we've got work to do. So where do we need to see increased righteousness in the way that we live? Where do we need to see increased love in the way that we relate to people. When we stand before the Lord, we're all going to give an account for our lives. And as I look around, some of you are going to give an account sooner than others. 
Could be today. Could be today. Could be today. My friend, after hearing that his, our mutual friend passed away, said, today's the day. I've got to give my life to Jesus today. We, we, we've been given a wake-up call where we're seeing people close to us in our community and in our families and our, and our people in close proximity. They're, they're expiring. Their race has come to an end. So when we stand before the Lord, we're going to give an account for these things. Our whole lives are really summed up in the way that we spend our time, talent, and our treasure. And all of those things will be judged when we stand before God. What have we done with our time now that we're new creatures, now that we're new people, now that we've got a new experience as born-again believers? Does our, the way that we spend our time change? Or are we doing precisely what we did before except for showing up to church on Sunday? Listen, our time is most, for most of us, our greatest asset. And how we use our time, those 24 hours every day, can make a huge difference in this culture uh, as we demonstrate the righteousness of God and the love of God, our time. And then there's our talent. What are we doing with the gifts and talents that God has given to us? Each of us have been given a talent. Are we using that talent for the kingdom responsibility that God has given to us? I was talking to a friend recently, and we've been friends going back to high school. And early on in his life, he was pursuing the ministry. And now that we're a few years down the road, I asked him, I said, hey, when are you going to get back into the pulpit? And he said, well, I'm not trying to make anything happen. And I think that's the excuse that a lot of us use. We're not trying to make anything happen with the kingdom responsibility that we have. I thought about that conversation for hours afterward. I thought, I wonder if he lost his job, how anxious he would be to find another job so that he can take care of his earthly responsibilities, paying his mortgage, putting groceries in the cupboard, making sure he's got lights on in his house. We minimize, we minimize our kingdom responsibilities by making pseudo-humble statements. I'm not going to make anything happen. Listen, if you were without a job and your lights were about to go out, you'd go out and mow lawns, you would go out and clean windows, you would go out and do whatever you needed to do to make a few bucks to keep your lights on. God has given you kingdom responsibility. The kingdom or the, the parable of the talents, we've talked about that recently. What are, what are you doing with the talents that God has given to you? Are you making up lame excuses and saying, I don't want to make anything happen? Or are you doing something with the gifts and talents that God has given to you? Don't make up excuses. God is ready to use you whenever you're ready to jump in. Now let's talk about your treasure. Let's talk about our money. The Bible says you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and mammon. And so what are you doing with your resources? Recently, a uh, year and a half ago or so, my dad passed away, and then Jolene's parents just passed away, and so we're starting to see a little bit of inheritance. And so 
my first thought is, how can we use it for the kingdom? And so the first thing that we did when we received our meager inheritance from those things so far is we wrote a check, two checks to the church. Why? Because that's our priority. And it has always been our priority all the days of our married life is the kingdom. What does God want to do with my money, with my time and my talent and my treasure? We will stand before the Lord and give an account for the way that we lived our lives as a married couple. How do we lead our families? Did we model proper behavior? Did we model excellent behavior as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? But I think this is what we do. Sometimes we get an inheritance. We say, oh, hey, that's my money. That's not God's money. I can do with that what I want to do. I don't have to give out of that resource. I think that's backwards thinking. The Bible says that we have been bought with a price, that we are not our own. And so that means to me and to proper, proper interpretation of Scripture that everything that we have, our time, talent, and our treasure belongs to the Lord. So what are you doing with your resource? Are you trusting God? I think if we're not trusting God with our resource, it's because we're being disobedient or faithless or both. And we're deciding, we're picking and choosing where God can be Lord of our lives. And so we do that with our time. We say, well, I'll give X amount of time to the kingdom work that God has called me to, but everything else is going to go toward whatever I want it to go toward. I'm just going to check the box. Our whole life belongs to God. What am I going to do with my talent? Well, I'll give God a little bit of my talent. What do I do with my treasure? Well, I'm going to hold on to that myself. We have a kingdom responsibility to be faithful with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Some would say, well, that tithing thing, that tithe, that's an Old Testament message. I think a, a changed life is an Old Testament message and a New Testament message. I think... In the Old Testament, God set out a percentage to kind of lay the, found, the foundation for us and the groundwork. That was an old system based on old understanding. It was a system where you would sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats to cover sins. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus was the sacrifice. He died for our sins. And so to me, that means it's a better, it's a better covenant and so if God wants 10%, he can have it. If he wants 20%, he can have it. He can have it all. Whatever he wants, I'm going to say yes. That is just the, the deal. And that needs to be our, our purpose in life. God, whatever you want to do. I don't want to wake up and say no to God in any arena of my life. That's not lordship. That's not new life. That's not demonstrating the fact that we are in this process of sanctification, that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we owe him everything. We've been accepted because he's good, not because we're good, but the reality is, is that he's called us to live differently in this new identity as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't know. Because if you try that, what's going to happen is that on the big screen in heaven, which is bigger than this LED wall, by the way, you're going to see me standing up there preaching, and God's going to say, you knew. And because you knew, you're accountable. 
How are you spending your life, time, talent, and treasure? Is there a greater level of righteousness and a greater capacity to love? because of who you are in Christ. Let's go ahead and stand up. Tim, come forward. Lord, we just want to talk about the hard stuff because that's what life is all about, Lord. And um, I want to grow in my capacity to be more like you, and I want us as a church to grow in our capacity to be more like you. And so I pray, God, that you would be glorified in our response to this message and to all of the messages that are taught as we go through the Scripture. God, I pray that you would speak life and encouragement to people. God, that people would realize that in you, boy, we can do all things. In our natural human flesh, we struggle with anxiety and fear, and we, we don't believe we can do it. But in you, all things are possible. With you, all things are possible. So help us to live that out, and to believe that, and to take steps of faith in that direction, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.